And praise the Lord, everybody. I saw a bumper sticker here a while back that depicted the way I feel so very much. It says, the older I get, the greater I was. <laughs> and so far, uh, as far as the carnal aspect is and the secular uh, part is concerned, I just really got a good feeling out of coming to the Amen Conference. <laughs> Those days are long gone. It's a joy to be here tonight. Sit down for just a moment, if you would, please, and let me exchange some uh, desirous remarks because there's such a wonderful atmosphere in this place. And then I will preach fast tonight. I told Brother Davis, my wife does not accompany me with too many conferences anymore. She's distracted by grandchildren. Life has many challenges for us. The older you get, the less significant you are made to feel. And my wife finds great joy in our grandchildren. And she likes to be with them. But she does travel with me some. And so I told Brother Davis, I said, Well, Sister Huntley's with me on this trip. That guarantees shorter preaching. <laughs> Anytime you see her with me, that means the sermons will be briefer. When, when she's not there, then I have fun. <laughs> and uh, I'm very happy that she's here with me tonight. And thank God for her blessing to my life and what she means to me. Let me give honor tonight to Brother Cole, Sister Cole, your district superintendent. These are wonderful people of God. Of course, Brother Cole helped pray me through to the Holy Ghost when I was 13 years old in the state of Georgia. You don't ever forget that. And he's always been such a mentor and a wonderful example of an apostolic preacher, and I love him dearly and appreciate what he means to the United Pentecostal Church. Always been a source of encouragement, and I thank God for that. And then, Brother Patterson, it's a joy to be in your church, this beautiful building. Choir has been tremendously anointed of God and blessed us each night. Appreciate your burden, vision, desire to enhance aspirants and ministries so the kingdom of God can continue to live. And uh, I appreciate that so very, very much. And uh, I also give honor tonight to the two young men that have talked to me most about this meeting. And that is Brother Ricky Patterson and also Brother Sammy Williamson. Such a fine example of young apostolic men. Both of them are exceedingly sharp and classy and love God. And it's thrilling to see young men like that waiting to pick up this wonderful mantle of apostolic ministry and continue on. And then, of course, I see my buddy out here in front, Brother Trey Davis, a young man of God. I think he's the youth president here in Georgia. I can't keep up with all this political machine. They just move on and on and on, you know. And uh, Brother Davis, good to see you. He preached for us a while back, and I promise you, he's a preaching machine. Did a great job. I love to see preachers' boys and pastors' sons carry on the legacy of apostolic ministry. It's a great tribute to God, a great tribute to your father, great tribute to the church. Brother Hodge did a marvelous job preaching last night. We've always been friends. I appreciate him and the privilege of being with him in this meeting. There's nothing like friends across the fellowship of the United Pentecostal Church. And there's, there's all over this audience tonight people whose names I could call. Uh, friends that are here, apostolic preachers, God bless you. We love you, respect you. Our desire is only that you would be blessed and have greater revival and get everything God's got for you and that your church 
would be blessed by God. That's our motive in being here and our desire in coming. Allow me one other indulgent moment, and that is to say I'm glad to see Brother Copeland here tonight. I'm glad he's doing better physically. You preaching yet? Not yet. Praying for you that God will strengthen you. I know he's been under some physical duress. or believe in God for healing for his body and put him back in the full-time ministry. But along with him tonight are Brother and Sister Lonnie Marcus. And I could not preach tonight and go any further without acknowledging Brother and Sister Marcus. Brother and Sister Marcus were Sister Huntley's pastor when she was a teenage girl. And matter of fact, Sister Marcus's first name is Christine, and our daughter's name is Christy. And that is no mistake. It is no coincidence. Because we wanted our daughter to be of the caliber of Sister Christine Marcus. Such a wonderful Christian lady who framed so much in my wife and spent so much time with her and made her a great help meet to me. And then brother and sister Marcus, Sister Huntley and I preached revivals for them when we were young, young ministers, and they helped us so much. A lot of what I have practiced in the ministry today I learned from Brother Lonnie Marcus and men of this caliber, and uh, they blessed my life so richly. And I thank God for the fellowship of the United Pentecostal Church. Can I share one humorous thing, and then we'll get to the Word of the Lord. I remember preaching for Brother and Sister Marcus. I've told this a million times, Brother Marcus. I don't think I've ever told in the pulpit. But uh, we were preaching a revival for Brother and Sister Marcus, and that was back in the days when we just had a little vehicle and a little trailer, not one that you lived in, just something we pulled and held our clothes and stuff in. And we unloaded by the bag loads and the truck loads, and we came in for revival. And we were getting ready to leave. We'd stayed in their home for an extended revival, several weeks. We were getting ready to leave, and Brother Marcus is quite a humorous man. He said, Christine, go stand by the door. He said, I don't believe they brought that much in. <laughs> when we started, we started loading our stuff out, he said, stand by the door. He said, I don't think they brought that much in. Well, I believe we did, Brother Marcus, because I drove down the road with it hanging over my shoulder. I drove a many a mile to revival. I, I would get packed, get that little car packed just right. I thought I had it all in there, ready to go to the next place. And I'd say, you ready to go? My wife said, what about these five bags? <laughs> if there's a tenth gift of the Spirit that should be to the evangelist, how to pack a car. Wonderful memories, and I wouldn't take anything for those marvelous years that uh, we put into us and make us what we are. And I hope that some of those memories are being made in this very meeting here tonight, and that out of this meeting will rise men of God who will have a special touch of the Holy Ghost on their lives and bring revival to our world. Stand for the reading of the Scripture, please. Every man that has preached has done a marvelous job, absolute beautiful preaching. And uh, Brother Davis, that was an exceptional message tonight. It made, i tell you what it made me want to do, it made me want to live. That was beautiful and refused to let anything die. I want everything God's put in me to stay alive. I, I would say Brother Patterson, Sister Patterson from North Carolina, good to see you here. God bless these precious people. Thanks for all the hospitality, the kindness, and uh, the generosity. Your respect has been muchly appreciated. 
and we thank God for it. Second Kings chapter 4. I acknowledge the lateness of the hour, and I will preach fast tonight. And uh, But I do feel to bring another side of the issue of revival from a story that I don't remember hearing anybody exactly highlight. But here a while back in reading the Scripture afresh, a portion came out in respect to revival, which I think is the message of the hour. I really believe there's only two things for us to preach. That's revival and rapture. And of course, in under those columns is a whole lot of preaching. But it is the message of the hour. Second Kings chapter 4 and verse number 1. Now there cried a certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets unto Elisha, saying... Now I love the chronological order of priority that this woman stated in the Scripture when she said, Thy servant, my husband, is dead. In her eyes, first of all, her husband was the servant of the prophet of God. And then he was her husband. You young ladies who aspire to marry a preacher, you might well remember that verse. And those of you who are married to preachers might well remember that verse. That first of all, they are the servant of the spiritual, and then they are your husband. Thy servant, my husband, is dead. And thou knowest that thy servant did fear the Lord, and the creditor is come to take unto him my two sons to be bondmen. And Elisha said unto her, What shall I do for thee? Tell me, what hast thou in the house? And she said, Thine handmaid hath not anything in the house. And I love this phraseology. Save a pot of oil. She said, I don't have anything in the house. But then, wait a minute. Save. A pot of oil. Then he said, Go, borrow thee vessels abroad of all thy neighbors, even empty vessels. Borrow not a few. And when thou art come in, thou shalt shut the door upon thee and upon thy sons, and shalt pour out into all those vessels, and thou shalt set aside that which is full. So she went from him and shut the door upon her and upon her sons who brought the vessels to her. And she poured out. And it came to pass when the vessels were full that she said unto her son, Bring me yet a vessel. And he said unto her, There is not a vessel more. And the oil stayed. When there were no longer empty vessels there was no longer flowing oil as long as there were empty vessels there was flowing oil then she came and told the man of God and he said go sell the oil pay thy debt and live thou and thy children of the rest the scripture said the creditor is come. I want to preach tonight putting the United Pentecostal Church in the personage and position 
of this woman, the wife of one of the sons of the prophets, on this subject, meeting the demand of the day. Meeting the demand of the day. I would like for us to acknowledge in our conclusion of this Amen Conference 2000 that we are under deep responsibility. That we are no longer carefree, haphazard, happy children on our way to heaven. We are under obligation and responsibility to meet the demand of the day. Father, we ask you in the name of the Lord to challenge us afresh tonight by the Word of God. Thank you for this opportunity, for the finale of an outstanding meeting and every anointed message. Help us now, Lord, in these next few minutes and send us from this place challenged in Jesus' name. And everybody said in Jesus' name. Would you put your Bible down and give the Lord a great big hand clap? And everybody said in Jesus' name. God bless you. You may be seated. I want to tell all of us here tonight at this Amen Conference 2000 that the notices are over and the grace period is about extinguished. The deadline is today. Time is running out for world evangelism. The Bible said the creditor is come. For this little lady and for us alike, it is now life or death. It is now produce what is demanded or suffer the undesired ramification. There is no hiding. There is no running, and there is no escaping. There is no back door away from the creditor who stands at the front door of the apostolic church tonight. Revival is no longer an attractive alternate selection or a contemplative consolation. It's not a matter anymore of some do and some don't. Some will and some won't. It is now the demand of the day. It is now revival for survival. Because the creditor is come. Paul said, I am a debtor. This Jesus name, apostolic church. The United Pentecostal Church is in debt to this generation. The hurting are demanding, you owe me a healer. The lost are demanding, you owe me Bible salvation. The bound are demanding, you owe me deliverance. 
The sad are demanding you owe me joy that is unspeakable and full of glory. The defeated are demanding you owe me victory. The oppressed are demanding you owe me relief. And the lonely are demanding you owe me a friend. When we put that sign out front that says apostolic or it says United Pentecostal Church, we must not be guilty of false advertisement. When they walk through the doors of our church, they must find what we advertise that it indeed is in the house. Folks, those that have been in dead, dull, lifeless religion are demanding apostolics, you owe me one more old-fashioned Holy Ghost camp meeting revival. A world at its worst demands a church at its best. And with a world that's getting wilder, it's no time for the church to get milder. We owe this generation an apostolic Holy Ghost, Jesus' name, heaven-honoring, Jesus-exalting, devil-debasing revival. And I just want to throw this in in passing. The church never deserves one night off. I'm not talking about rest nights and revival. I'm talking about we don't have time for one dead Sunday morning. We don't have time for one dead Sunday night. We don't have time for one dead Wednesday night. You don't know who's at the door. You don't know who's at the door. Here was this little woman, no doubt overwhelmed, no doubt intimidated, no doubt despondent, no doubt feeling totally bankrupt feeling totally inept to meet the challenge of her day. And the creditor is come. It's payday. And there's no way around it. It's put up or shut up. I want to tell this church, it's time to put up or shut up. Let's either have revival or sell the building. Let's either have revival or turn the lights off. Let's either have revival or go home. We've got to meet the demand of the day. I preach tonight to pastors, and I preach to young ministers 
who get overwhelmed, who get intimidated. It's been said over and over, the pressure is greater than ever before. The competition in the world of religion is more keen now than ever before. But let me stand on this apostolic platform and tell you, truth has no competition. It doesn't matter how many false prophets there are. There's only one true God. I will preach tonight basically from three quick points. There is a formula in the strategy of this little lady that the prophet gave to her. That caused her to meet the demand of her day. It worked for her. And it will work for us. There's three things she did. See, sometimes we come to meetings and all we get is inspiration. But inspiration without direction is frustration. We get all revved up, but nobody says, how do we do this? I think the Bible gives us in this story... Three valuable points on how you can meet the demand of the day. She did three things, and we must do three things. I will give them to you and then preach a little bit about each one of them. Number one was get involved with what is in the house. Number two, put an emphasis on emptiness. And number three, make participators of your sons. The prophet said, you're not in as deep trouble as you think you are. I know how to get you out of here. Number one, get involved with what's in your house. Number two, put an emphasis on emptiness. And number three, Get your boys involved in this thing. And if you'll do that, your need will be met. Apostolic Pentecostals, it's our day. This doesn't belong to the Trinitarians. It doesn't belong to the compromisers. It doesn't belong to the charismatic movement. It belongs to this one God, Jesus name, holiness church. The first thing we need to understand is our answer to the demand is not external, but internal. It's not without us. It's within us. She cried unto the servant, and Elisha said unto her, What shall I do for thee? I want you to know she cried to him. And he said, What hast thou in the house? I want to remind you apostolic Pentecostals 
of what we have in the house. It seems we've overlooked some magnificent things. There is something in this house that is adequate for the hour. I don't know where it's coming from. I don't know how it's getting around. But in some realms of apostolic Pentecostalism, some folks just have the idea that you got to go outside of this to advance yourself. That it's outside of us to move to the next dimension. And that we can't receive it from inside of us. I won't spend long on this because Brother Davis has already preached it. It takes anointing to touch anointing. He's already said that. Let that be as it is. That's part of the message tonight. We don't have to go outside of us. It is inside of us. This church was tailor-made at Pentecost for the new millennium. God didn't build a church for a hundred years. He didn't build it for a thousand years. He built it to go through the dark ages. He built it to come through the new millennium. He designed it to last until the rapture. Your answer is in the house. We need to realize our answer is in the house. Here a while back, been quite a while now, I discovered a tremendous revelation. I was at a cafeteria eating a meal with my wife, and I knew that I had put sugar in my tea. But it was bitter as gall. Now, tea is a, is a mystery, is it not? We boil it to get it hot and put ice in it to make it cold. Put lemon in it to make it bitter and sugar in it to make it sweet. All in the same container. I took a drink of that. Yeah, it's detestable. Put some more sugar in it. Took another drink. Oh, it's detestable. I said, I know I put sugar in this glass. I looked in the bottom. And it was about that much sugar in the bottom of the glass. It was then that I came to this tremendous revelation. That it is not the sugar that sweetens the tea. It's the stirring. It really doesn't matter how much sugar you put in the glass. Until you stir it, it is ineffective and unrecognizable. And it is unimpactful. That's why Paul told Timothy, Stir up the gift. It's not how much Holy Ghost you've got. It's how much is stirred up. It's how much you're involved with. It's how much is activated. 
That's why the devil is trying to cool this church. I'm sorry, Brother Cole. I guess I came out of another dispensation, another day, but I'm not into all this hip Pentecost. I'm not into all this cool Joe, Mr. Brains, high society, calm the thing down and win the world. It took a Russian mighty win. It took a fire. It took Jerusalem being turned upside down. And it's going to take the same thing tonight. Hear me? We will not win our world by impressing them. But we will win them by impacting them. When they come through the doors, we need something to make the hair stand up on their head. We need them to say, what meaneth this? You may be seated. Thank you. Let's get with it here tonight. Appreciate it. If you can bring visitors to Pentecost and you don't have to explain it, you cease to be Pentecostal. If they can sit through your whole service and understand everything, you're not New Testament Pentecost. Somewhere something ought to happen that they don't understand in the realm of the supernatural working of God. I've preached the Mississippi camp meeting a number of times. And every year, we were there this past summer, we left Georgia and went to Mississippi. And every night prior to the starting of the service, we meet in a little room and there's all kind of politicians there. Senators and congressmen and Supreme Court judges and attorney generals and the governor. All of them are now there. The bodyguards of the governor. They're all there. And I remember particularly when Brother Travis told them in that meeting before we go in. He says, now I know some of you have been to Pentecost. Some of you haven't. He said, but I want you to be prepared. We're going to have church tonight. No one's going to get hurt. Everything's going to be all right. The night the governor was there, and all of his entourage, there was about four bodyguards standing over here. And of all nights for me to preach, I preached that night on the subject, we ain't drunk as we supposed to be. And the governor was on his feet clapping his, folks, we can't impress them. Our goal is not to impress them. Our goal is to hit them with the Holy Ghost in such a way that it will blow them to an altar. Man, those bodyguards were standing over, clapping their hands. 
they were enjoying. Come on, Pentecost. We don't have to get outside the house to have revival. What we need to have revival is in the house. We just need to get involved with it. Get it stirred up. Get it moving. Get it active. He said, what do you have in your house? She said, I have not anything. And then I love the wording of the scripture. She said, I have not anything. Save. Now the word save in the English language can be ambiguous. It can mean accept. Or it can mean something reserved, something protected, something preserved. She said, sir, I have nothing in my house save a pot of oil. (laughs) When you get down to the oil. You're getting ready to come up. When you realize you've got nothing but all left, you're now standing on miracle territory. (laughs) If I know anything, about downsizing, budget cutting. I understand this. You always start with the less significant and less meaningful. And you move to those objects of greatest affection and value. You with me? You fall on economic hard times, you start having yard sales. You start having garage sales. Who told that today about the lady? Somebody at the table told a neat story. I liked it. That a man was driving home from somewhere and he saw truckloads go by and look like his furniture. He got home and found out it was his furniture. His wife had had a yard sale and sold everything in the house for about $150. When you fall on hard times economically, here's the way it usually starts. The wife says, well, you can get rid of that old bass boat. It ain't doing nothing collecting dust out there anyway. We can get by without that. Sell them ignorant golf clubs. We can live without that. Going to bed now, huh? You can sell them, sell them old shotguns. Well, why don't we get rid of some of that fancy china? We never eat on it anyway. But I know one thing, you keep your house and you keep your car. That's the last things to go because you got to have a place to live and you got to have a way to get to work. 
This woman exemplifies true priority because she said, Sir, I'm in a downsizing. I'm in a budget cutting. And right now, the cows have already been sold. The horse has already gone. Matter of fact, sir, all I've got left is a pot of oil. And I'm holding on to my oil. The last thing you're going to pry out of my hands is my oil. The last thing I'll let go. This church can let go of a lot of stuff. But we got to keep the oil. I said we got to keep the oil. Somebody shout yes. Shout yes. We need preachers to preach and still sweat. We need preachers to preach and still scream. We need preachers to preach and still get excited. It's the anointing that destroys the yoke. It's the anointing that destroys the yoke. When a man gets anointed, iniquity's bonds began to break. Sin's cords began to snap. The devil's hands are pried loose. We can throw out the drums and still have church. You may be seated. it. Shout, still have church. Oh, that's pitiful. Still have church. Shout, still have church. We can throw out the drums. Pull up the carpet. Knock down the steeple. Get rid of the keyboards. Throw out the PA. But when the all's gone, church is over. When the all is gone. When the all's gone, church is over. We need somebody being moved. By the power of the Holy Ghost. It is not time to cry over what we don't have. But maximize what we do have. Emmy Lou, if I had a thousand eyes, they'd all be looking at you. <laughs> Emmy Lou, if I had a thousand arms, they'd all be wrapped around you. Emmy Lou, if I had a thousand lips, they'd all be kissing you. Homer, shut your mouth and just use what you got. Pentecostals, shut your mouth and just use what you've got. You got two hands, put them together. You got two feet, get them to dancing. You got one mouth, get it to praising. It's time to use what we've got. Peter told the lame man in Acts chapter 3, silver and gold, 
Have I none? But don't count me out. Because such as I have give I unto thee. The lame man was crying for alms. Did I say that again? Okay. The lame man was crying for alms. My wife is here, so I try to be nice. But beloved, that man didn't know what he needed. He's like the world. They cry, but they don't know what they really need. He was crying for arms. But he didn't need arms. He needed legs. <laughs> Peter said, but you don't know what you need. This world doesn't know what they need. They're crying for arms when they need legs. And so I want to say to the apostolics tonight, the worst thing we can do is let the church, the world set the standards for the church. Get off of this stuff trying to find out what they want and then put it in your church. They're crying for arms when they need legs. We don't need six flags behind every church. We don't need 15 softball teams in every church. We don't need get rich schemes in every church. What we need is Acts 2.38, one God, Jesus name, baptism, and a move of the Holy Ghost. I got to hasten on here. Y'all making me have a good time. <laughs> Turn around to the person beside you and say, Mr. or Mrs. Professional Pentecostalism, if this embarrasses you, you need to get it again. It's one thing when the world makes fun of us, but it's something else when we make fun of us. The second point was, first one was get involved with what's in the house. The second one is put an emphasis 
on emptiness. He said, go borrow vessels. Two qualifications. Empty and not a few. Empty and not a few. Because the amount of oil you're going to get hinges on how many you bring and how empty they are. I'm going to tell you why we got some dead UPCs. Number one, the people are full of everything but God. And number two, there ain't but a few of them there. Have you ever noticed the choir sings better when there's empty vessels out there? The preacher preaches better when there's empty vessels out there. God moves better when there's empty vessels out there. There's nothing better than a full Pentecostal church. An emphasis on emptiness because God cannot and will not fill fullness. God's search is for emptiness. Man brags on fullness. God delights in emptiness. I'm talking about saints who come to church. Feeling empty and hungry for God. I'm going to tell you tonight, we get full way too soon. We get our two cold chill bumps, we're ready to go home. We hear one 30-minute sermon, we're ready to go home. We get our one 30-second blast of tongue-talking, we're ready to go home. We get our one somersault, we're ready to quit. I'm telling you, somebody needs to do what you always do and then get back up and say, that was good. I want some more. I want some more. I want some more. I want some more. Hallelujah. God's search is for emptiness. He told the prophet, if you'll make this valley full of ditches, I'll send the water. If you're in the valley, start digging. And make room. We don't have more of God because we don't have room for more of God. It's time for us to clean out. Most of our Pentecostal church services are like the way I was when I was a child coming home from school. My mother had our dinner ready 
when we got home from school about 3.30 in the afternoon. But if I had a little change saved for my lunch, I stopped by what was called the corner store. Got me a Hershey's with almond. Got me an ice cream sandwich. Got me a nutty buddy. Came home and mama had dinner on the table. Slide up and pray the prayer. If she asked me to pray, it was a little longer. Because I wasn't hungry. <laughs> Adjust my fork and my spoon. Need some more salt. Need some more pepper. Give me some of this. Making all kind of racket. <laughs> Camouflage in the fact. I wasn't eating. <laughs> Camouflage in the fact. I didn't have an appetite. Camouflage in the fact that no matter what's on the table, I didn't want it. But I couldn't fool mama. She'd look up and say, Wayne, what have you been eating? And this is her classic phrase. You are so full of junk that you are not hungry. Well, I thought the pastor's sermon was a little boring to me. Choir ain't quite up to snuff. Just shuffling around back there. Trying to cover up the fact that you're so full of junk, you ain't got room for the good stuff. When you're not full of the WWF, church is exciting. When you're not full of the NFL, church is exciting. When you're not full of Hollywood, church is exciting. When you're not full of the junk of this world, you're hungry for a move of the Holy Ghost when you get to the house of God. All right, get ready, guys. Y'all remain standing quiet. Be, be seated. Here's what we need to do. Our problem is God's looking for emptiness, and we're in fullness. We brag about full churches, full bank accounts, full refrigerators, full libraries, full garages, full, full. And we think that impresses. But God's not impressed with fullness. God's impressed with emptiness. Our problem is we got too many things in the house. And if we're going to have revival, we're going to have to empty the house. It's time to start getting rid of some stuff. It's time to clean out some stuff. It's time to get rid of some stuff. It's time to throw some stuff out. It's time to empty something. Make room for a Holy Ghost revival. Make room for a move of God. Make room for the power of God. Isaiah did not see the Lord high and lifted up until after the death of Uzziah. As long as Uzziah was on the throne, 
Isaiah could not see the Lord. The emptiness of the throne seems to clear the way to see the Lord. Could it be that some things we've enthroned in our lives keep us from really seeing the Lord high and lifted up? It was the empty tomb that produced the upper room. God's looking for emptiness. So, you got to get involved with what's in the house. You got to put an emphasis on emptiness. And then thirdly, he said, get your sons involved. Get your sons involved. Make them participators in this miracle. As a matter of fact, the Bible said her sons are the ones who went and got the vessels. I've been on a little tirade lately. And I want to say it tonight. Pentecost is becoming convinced that all young people can do is eat pizza and have lucky. And a lot of parents think, Pastor, if they come to church, leave them alone. That's good enough. Coming to church is not good enough. And the devil is smarter than the church because he's involving children and youth of our day while the church is petting and pampering and spoiling our children and our young people. When the pastor says pray, that's everybody. When the pastor says stand up, that's everybody. When the pastor says worship God, that's everybody. When the pastor says give, that's everybody. When the pastor says dance, that's it. There's not a double standard. I was at General Conference this year, and my wife was standing out in the hall. She and I were talking to some people getting ready to go in or leaving. And my wife said, in a minute, I was talking to some pastor. I wasn't paying any attention to what was going on. I was speaking to someone. She said, honey, honey, she said, please speak to that little boy right there. I didn't, I didn't, I love children. I turned around, I said, sure. He had on a suit and tie. He was nine years old. I said, glad to meet you, brother. I said, are you Brother Huntley? I said, yes. Glad to meet you, brother. His daddy said, Brother Huntley, you're his hero. He said he listens to you preach every night. And he's been standing over there hoping that you would shake his hand. My, me. His daddy said, I want you to know, he's nine years old and he's already preaching. And last week he preached our children's church and kids were filled with the Holy Ghost. Nine years 
What's wrong with teenagers teaching Sunday school? What's wrong with teenagers learning how to be ushers? Where do we ever read they got to be 40 years old to be used by God? The Lord said if you want to meet the demand of your day, get your boys involved in this. I look over this church tonight, and there's precious, prized young men. Precious, prized young ladies, you may be seated. All over this building. But do you know how to pray? Do you know how to fast? Do you know how to teach a Bible study? It was the boys who brought the empty vessels. I think Samson's strategy is what we need to employ tonight. In Judges 15, Samson wanted to do damage to the adversary. So the Bible said he caught 300 fox. He tied their tails together. <laughs> and he put a brand between each pair of them. And he lit it. And that's the first mention of tail lights in the Bible. <laughs> 300 foxes tied their tails together, set them on fire. And the Bible said, it's the little foxes that spoil the vine. But we leave our little foxes sleeping and coloring. If we want to meet the demand of the day, we got to employ Samson's strategy, and this is it. Number one, he tied them. That is, he united. There is no more divisive place in the church than the youth group. You got the haves against the have-nots. You got the cool heads against the nerds. You got the GQs against the Freddy Freaks. You got the misfits with the high fits. And nobody's more cruel than kids. But somehow the church has got to get them together. We've got to get our young people together. The board member's son and the alcoholic's boy 
have got to be tied together. The bus minister boy and the deacon's boy have got to get tied together. The rich and the poor have got to get tied together. The GQQ dresser and the Goodwill dresser have got to get together to where you don't have to dress a certain way. You don't have to comb your hair a certain way. You don't have to wear a certain brand name. Let's have church. Notice, he tied them, he fired them, and then he freed them. That's what we need to do with our young people. Tie them, fire them, and free them. And set them loose on this world. Stand with me as I bring the message to a conclusion. And here's the heart of what I want to say. We only talk about one side of revival usually. And that's the blessing when it comes. And the benefit when it happens. Try to convince our people that full churches is the thing to have. To have to look for a place to sit down is the end thing. And to be willing to walk a long way to get a place to park is, is with joy. And that's what we want. But not all Pentecostals are moved by that. They're not moved by marijuana packages on the floor. They're not moved by drug addicts getting their life straight. They're not really moved by alcoholics getting delivered. They're not really, mo really moved by all these new people coming into our church. But there's a side of this story maybe you've missed. <laughs> she said, Mr. Prophet... If I don't meet the demand of my day, I will lose my voice. I will lose my sons if I don't get a miracle. Not only will I not bring new people in, I'm going to lose the ones I've got if I don't have revival. If we don't have revival, our boys are going to be bond servants to drugs. They're going to be bond servants to alcohol. They're going to be bond servants to charismatic Trinitarianism. They're going to be bond servants to the ball games. Bond servants to the spirits of the world. She said, if I don't get a miracle, he's going to take my boys. And I'm going to lose my own sons if we don't get a miracle. There may be a side of this you haven't noticed. That is, if we don't have revival, we're going to lose our own kids. The only way we can keep them is to get a miracle. It's to have a revival. Maybe you're not turned on by drug addicts being delivered, alcoholics being delivered, denominational people coming into your church. But do you care about your own? 
Do you care about, care about your son that's being raised in this church? Without revival, the bondsmen are going to take them away from here. I am tired of watching our kids grow up and walk out the doors of apostolic Pentecostalism. The only way we can hold them is to have revival. I want every Pentecostal young person from seven years old to 30 years old walk to the front of this building right now. Every Pentecostal young person from 7 unto 30 walk to the front. It's almost time now. God, my church is keeping up with it. I got a spontaneous thought in a youth service almost 10 years ago, Brother Cole. We had our youth group around the altar, and I got a, an idea. Call for a camera. I said, take a picture of this group. Somebody help me remember. Ten years from now, I want to know how many of them are still in the picture. A man came to me just recently, honey, James Barnhill, he said, Brother Huntley, it's been so many years. He said, I've got the picture. And he said, time's about out, and I'll let you know when the ten years have passed. Turn around and face the audience, folks. If the Lord tarries his coming ten years, take a picture of this. How many of these will still have uncut hair? How many of these will still not have their cheeks touched by makeup? How many of these boys will be married and bringing their babies to church? Our only hope is revival. Maybe you don't like the evangelistic side, but does this move you? Come here, sweetheart. That's your girl? Is it all right if she stands here? She's seven years old. Her grandfather is a United Pentecostal preacher. I just happen to know this girl. Her uncle is a member of the South Carolina district on the district board, I believe. Right, Brother Carker? Pastors in Greenville, South Carolina. I pastored her mother, this girl's mother, before she was married.
10 years from now, will she know there's only one God? 10 years from now, will she know what it is to see somebody shout and talk in tongues? 10 years from now, will she know what it is to be baptized in Jesus' name? Maybe you don't care about the world. What's your name? But do you care about Jolene? Jolene's only hope is revival. That the church has revival. Too long we have thought it was a matter of choice and pure consolation, but not anymore. It's a necessity. They're going to take them away. Would you lift your hands toward these kids and pray for them? And kids, would you lift your hands and ask God to send revival to the church? Thank you.